Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes and Hughes. Score! Oh, the kid did it! Your source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step. In on Stalock, Barkov shoots and scores! Here's your hosts, Jesse Severe and Victor Nuno. Fantasy hockey life. We've been living it because it is draft time. Uh, it is draft time. Victor and I have been following this with great glee. I know uh, it's been a huge week for our fantasy hockey lives as the dynasty gets going. And uh, yeah, I'm spilling all the news. But before I get to all that, Victor, how you doing today? Oh man, it has been such a fun last couple of days in hockey. Recording the day after the the round one of the draft, and one of the craziest days in hockey that I remember. Some of the trades that happened were just uh, really interesting. Um, some crazy valuations of players that are very different from what what we all kind of think. But uh, yeah, it was it was really great just to kind of see things flying around a little bit and and seeing who's who you know who went in the draft finally. And we'll have our draft episodes next week, so uh, holding off on that. But some some great trades, and uh, and I'm really grateful that the news about Sam Reinhardt came out just before we recorded our Florida <laughs> episode because we've had a couple. Last week I thought the Nashville was good, but they were not good. They kind of messed us up, and so. Um, at least we kind of heard about it just before recording and we could, we could slide him in there. So I'm grateful for that, Jesse. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it when the NHL GMs take it easy on us. You know, I, we're not going to break down all these trades, uh, but in some cases, both of the teams that get covered, uh, have already been covered in previews. So we'll talk about maybe something at some point, but it's like, well, Chicago and Columbus make a trade. We've already talked Chicago. We've already talked Columbus. So they're not really going to come back on any team preview. But in our fantasy leagues, Victor, sometimes people want to veto trades. And you know, I am laissez-faire when it comes to vetoes. I, I think unless you know there's some real funny business, like somebody's being a jerk and, and just trying to quit the league and burn it on the way down, or uh, you know, somebody cuts a side deal, aka collusion of, uh, how about I trade you all my best guys and you give me uh, you know, 25% of your winnings at the end of the year, all that type of business. Or I'm going to trade you this guy. And then in the other league, we're in together. How about you trade me that guy? And we you know, do a little cross-league action. Now I've given everybody ideas. But if the NHL GMs had veto power, which we don't give in, and I don't believe in, in our leagues. Do you think any of the trades that have gone down this offseason would have been vetoed? 
I, I have to say it's the wrist aligning train because I have to think <laughs> that at least half the NHL GMs were like a lot of us out there thinking like that was an absolutely hilarious return by the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and they, I mean, the, the Buffalo Sabres couldn't give Ristolainen away, you know, recently. And and it's like, I know Buffalo fans were thinking, well, you know, maybe if we could get a second round pick for him, that would, that would be okay. Like, I think, I think at this point we're okay with that, the salary savings and, you know, he's just really not that good um, at hockey. And, and the fact that they get this monster return is just absolutely hilarious. I bet the other GMs were just like friggin' pissed about that, quite frankly. So yeah, I think they would use it on the first Atlanta trade. Yeah, you hear that, Chuck Fletcher, Kevin Adams? If you were a fantasy league, you might have caused the whole thing to break up and break out in controversy. So nice job, you guys. And nice job, Buffalo. Doing some smart things lately and and maybe doing things the right way. Okay, Victor. Well, we're not talking about Buffalo. We're not talking about Philadelphia today. We're talking about one of my favorite teams to watch in the National Hockey League, and that is the Florida Panthers. We've got our man, Jack Dawkins, here to talk about them. Jack is a... uh, a guy who has talked with us in the past about uh, the Washington Capitals. Who's the other team that Jack's always talking with us about? Do you remember? Devils. Go back. The Devils. Yeah, yeah. Devils is his team. So he he dives deep into all these teams and probably uh, even more. But he's uh, a great guy to talk Panthers with. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one other thing before we get into the meat of the episode, I should say uh, I mentioned we're the dynasty leagues that is two of them 18 teams apiece we have been setting those up we've drawn for draft order this week it's very exciting but out of the two 18 team leagues each of them has somebody who indicated interest before and we can't find them now (laughs) sometimes that's hard so if you signed up to be in one of the leagues and were told you were in you need to get back with us by this coming friday Okay. Hopefully you still listen to the show. And if you don't, well, we've got two backups who are very ready and willing to step in. They're eager. They're hoping you don't get back, but we want to give you the chance. And we're going to give you a couple more days in case you just haven't been following uh, the correct social medias and so forth. You know who you are. So you have till Friday to get back with us to get in because we're going to be starting these slow drafts uh, a ways into August. Right, Victor? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, we, we want to, we want to give everyone a chance. We know that sometimes things come up and, and maybe uh, maybe you forgot or whatever. Um, one, one of the people we don't have a Discord info for or any other contact, um, not sure quite how that happens. We're having trouble contacting. The other one we've kind of mentioned, reached out to, haven't heard back. So uh, if you want that spot, um, get it, get on it because uh, we got a couple people that are really, really waiting for it. And uh, everyone, we had a little, uh, we had a little draft uh, signing league and draft order zoom chat with, uh, with some of the guys. And that was really fun. Um, You know, maybe we'll do more of those, uh, especially like around the draft kind of thing. I've done that previously with other leagues kind of do like open up a zoom room and people can kind of come in and, you know, just kind of chat a little bit, but they are going to be slow drafts. They're not going to be, live, uh, which makes that a little bit harder, but still, uh, we want to have a community. We want to have a place where we can, you know, hang out and, and chat at times. And, and, you know, this is all for fun, even though, yeah, we're competing against each other, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all in good fun and we're all doing this cause we, we love hockey. So, uh, yeah, get in there. Um, and let's, uh, we're excited to get these leagues going and, uh, everyone, everyone that's in already is, is really eager, but, uh, 
we got to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to claim their spot and uh, we don't want to end it prematurely. So July 30th, you two, if you've reached out and you think you're in the league, <laughs> if you don't get back to us, uh, we're going to give your spot away. Fair warning. Yes, we've been doing those, uh, been doing those zooms. It's been, it's been fun. I was on there as well as we were talking to listeners. Really cool. You know, Victor and I sit here and we talk every week and sometimes it just doesn't dawn on me that people are listening. <laughs> Human beings. It's, uh, you know, we talk to them in the discord all the time. And by the way, join the free discord, just contact us. But, uh, it is just kind of a startling thing to suddenly see a bunch of human faces and be like, oh, wow, we're not just screaming into the void, Victor. There's people listening. I know from the numbers, people are listening, but, uh, it just makes it more tangible. And we thank all of them for being a part of this. You can contact us fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com. Check Victor and I out fan hockey life on Twitter for me, Victor Nuno 12 on Twitter for Victor and uh, join up. The hockey talk is underway for the year. You can send us listener questions, off season keeper decisions, all of those types of things. Let's take a brief break and come back with Jack Dawkins. We are back and we are with the man, Jack Dawkins. He is no pun intended, and sorry, Jack, if this is something you get a lot, but he is a jack of all trades because he can talk many, many teams in the National Hockey League. And in fact, I can say he is the second most frequent guest in the history of this podcast. He's moving up the ranks. You hear that, Ben Burnett? Jack Dawkins is coming for you. So you better get out of the way. And Jack is our best friend to talk about the Florida Panthers. So we're ready to talk about that South Florida team, Florida man, as a team. Jack, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. It's day two of the draft. It's a good day. That's right. As everybody knows, there's always a little delay between our recording and our uh, and and putting these episodes out. So we have seen the first round of the draft. We may mention uh, a little bit about the Panthers in the end. But as everybody who's listening, uh, we, like we've told them, we're, we've got a lot of draft episodes coming out, but they're not going to be yet this coming week. Uh, but Jack, th- these Florida Panthers, man, we've got to talk about them. They they really had a pretty fascinating season and and a surprise season. I thought uh, a pleasant surprise season. I'm always looking for the pleasant surprise from the Panthers, and they keep failing to deliver. And finally, they did this year. So uh, so there's good things to talk about here, right? Oh yeah, there's uh, there is no shortage of good news. Uh, in Florida. And it really starts with the change they made in the front office, uh, swapping out Dale Talon for, uh, for Bill Zito and uh, the work that Zito did in Columbus uh, with the scouting department and getting to see him stretch his legs as a general manager has been phenomenal for Florida. And there's lots of reasons to be excited about this team. Well, let me set up a couple of basic things about this team and their performance last year. The Panthers have been in the top two of their division only five times in their 27 seasons of existence. And three of those times, they got in the top two in a four to five team division. So this was just untrodden ground for them to get that high in the division this year where they were number two. They led the league in shots at 1,954, tied in fourth in goals at 188, and they were the ninth best team in goals allowed. So really dominant performance in a lot of ways. They were uh, <laughs> they were also a team that didn't mind using that penalty box. Second in PIM 4 and uh, first in PIM against. 
despite what we're going to talk about in goaltending later uh, and uh, sort of the good and the bad of that, their 9-10 save percentage tied for seventh in the league. Their first-round playoff loss marked the ninth straight year of not advancing past their first postseason series. In fact, the team has still never won a postseason series. I look back, I did the math. Somebody can try to correct me, but I looked at Hockey Reference. The only time they have ever won a postseason series was when they got to the Stanley Cup final in their third year. At least they can console themselves. Nobody else could beat their first-round opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning, either. I'm very optimistic on this team going forward. Uh, So what did you make of this? You kind of give us a sense of it's coming from the front office. Uh, How do you think Florida fans are feeling at this point about about their franchise? I got to be honest. I uh, I made the mistake of picking the Panthers to win the cup this year. I thought they were so good in the regular season. I thought they would carry that momentum into the playoffs. And I thought they could actually match up against the lightning. And uh, obviously nobody could match up against the lightning this year, but I, I gave Florida a chance and maybe that was a little preemptive, but they, they're not making the stupid moves that a lot of GMs that we see making around the league. They they've made smart moves. They've made good value signings. I mean, you just look at the the dividends that the Carter Hagee deal has paid for them. And it's uh, it, there's, if I was a Panthers fan, I would be really excited about the potential direction of my team because they have a good young core and they're a team that they're going to be on the rise as other teams in the Eastern conference kind of come back down to earth. We, we talked about the capitals, you know, Backstrom, Ovechkin, Oshi, that core is getting old. We look at the penguins, the penguins core is getting old as, as these teams that have kind of dominated the East for the last few years start to kind of taper off. I feel like the Panthers are really ready to step into a gap in that Eastern playoff picture. Uh, Tampa's going to have a hard time keeping their team together because of the salary cap uh, that those, those chickens are going to come home to roost. So if, if you are a Florida Panthers fan, it, it is a time to, to get on board. And if you're not a Florida Panthers fan, it, it's a good time to jump on the bandwagon because this is a fun hockey team to watch. We're going to talk about, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, some of the players this year, but you know, you, it starts with the Selk trophy winner Barkov. I mean, it absolutely starts with him. One of the most exciting players of the game. One of the players that if you were if you were starting an NHL franchise, he would probably be in the top five players you would pick to start your franchise with. Obviously, Connor McDavid is on that list. Uh, but I think, you know, Sasha Barkov, is, is he's that good. And that's what you're building around. And it, it could get real exciting real quick here. Yeah, so let's start with Barkov, the, uh, the Finn uh, the the great player, uh, and I think if you're talking about them winning a Stanley Cup, you absolutely start with that guy. There's a reason we put him in the opening credits of our show, folks. We are uh, unapologetic Alexander Barkov fans, and uh, he just needs to be recognized, as, as Jack said, as a superstar he is. Coming into the season, I ranked him 34, and I'm embarrassed, and Victor ranked him 24 and was closer. He actually landed at the seventh best player in fantasy hockey, and I, I think really should be a, a first or at worst second round if you want more than the center eligibility position in fantasy hockey drafts this year. He ended the year with 26 goals, 32 assists, and 58 points in 50 games. That was 13th most in points, ninth most in goals in the National Hockey League. Led the team with 176 shots. That was 11th in the NHL. 
And among players with at least 500 minutes of ice time, there were 437 of those guys. He was in the top 10% in Corsi 4 percentage, expected goals 4 percentage at 5-on-5. As you mentioned, he won the Selkie. Tremendous, tremendous year for him. Uh, Really, my question, you talk about the future for these teams. Every once in a while, you hear buzz around, will he stay with this team long-term and want to stay in this market? Uh, Sometimes I think that's wishful thinking by people who just don't think that some of these quote-unquote non-traditional hockey markets deserve good players. And I always think that's a a ripoff. Uh, because I, I would like to see somebody stay with their uh, stay with their franchise long-term and win. Hey, I'm a Giannis fan in Milwaukee uh, basketball, so uh, obviously I'm having those feelings this week. But I, So I'll ask you, you think he's going to stay with the Panthers long-term? Could he top 90 points next year, Jack Dawkins? 90 points is a push, but if they get him, if they get him a little bit of help on the wing, if they upgrade the players around him a little bit, because one of the one of the places where Florida has struggled a little bit is they've they've really been going for value in the wing department. They haven't really had a lot of superstar talent there the last couple of years, um, and they've done well with what they have. But um, they, if they get Barkov some help, I could see I could see eighty points. I think ninety is a bit of a stretch. I think. Um, that's that's pushing it a bit but i could definitely see 80 points and the fact that you know he is a self trophy winner you get the other aspects of his game as well as from a fantasy perspective um he's probably not as valuable in fantasy as he is actually on the ice but he is still tremendously valuable as a player and he's a little underpaid actually for what he does right now his uh his contract is he's coming up for a new contract and i think florida i think florida has to show him that they're committed to him, that they're committed to making the team around him better, and that they're committed to spending some money on him. Um, and that's going to be that contract's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on because it is, as you say, people people from more traditional hockey markets seem to think that small market teams and non traditional markets don't deserve nice things. <laughs> and um, I actually deal with that in another sport that I follow, but the. Um, the, the context of that is they, if Florida can keep Barkov and he's their captain and, and they can build around him and build around this superstar and start putting butts in the seats in that arena, you can start to kind of quiet that down a little bit and get people to say, okay, this team is for real. Yeah, the Florida sports, Miami sports are a little bit resurgent right now. So we'll see if they're able to capture that market. But I, I've always thought it would be very deserving. Well, let's move on. Uh, Jonathan Huberto is the next guy we got to take on. He's kind of the 1B to uh, Barkov's 1A on this team. I ranked him 22, Victor 25. He was actually 21. We kind of had him right on this year. Barkov is the star, but uh, Huberto is actually the leading scorer on the team and the second team all-star in the NHL. 20 goals, 41 assists for 61 points in 55 games. Good up to age 24. Those first few years in the NHL, but he's taken a huge step in the last three years, averaging well over a point per game. His 23 power play points tied for sixth in the NHL, and surprisingly, he had just over two shots and a hit per game. 
So that's kind of a surprisingly low number of shots for the number of goals he put in. 16.4% shooting is a bit of a worry, even if Huberto is probably just an above average talent as a shooter. You know, if you were not watching Florida games this year, you might assume that he was just living off Barkov uh, on a wing, but that wasn't true. He only played with Barkov 13% of the time at five on five. Prior year, Barkov and Huberto played 78% of the time together. So they were really split up. Huberto was playing some second line center significantly during this team. And he drives his own play now. It's kind of, uh, they're kind of more, like you said, if they go low on wingers, it's almost more the Pittsburgh plan of uh, you've got such dominant centers now that maybe they can uh, turn average wingers into above average wingers just with their strength. And we can debate whether some of these additional guys are in one category or the other. But I think he drives his own play. The man who makes the announcers, I think it's Steve Goldstein on the uh, Florida podcast uh, broadcast, say "Hooby dooby doo" every time he scores. It's uh, always a kind of a fun goal call. Anyway, what do you expect from Huberdeau next year? What's your optimistic projection for what this guy can be? The thing that always bothered me about them deploying Huberdeau with Barkov is they're both more playmakers than they are goal scorers. Uh, Huberdeau has only topped 30 goals once in his career. Um, He's more of like a 20 goal, 40 assist guy. Um, This season was very, very good for him. I think it's going to, it's going to depend on some of the moves that they make and some of the additions and prospects coming up, but He's proven that he's able to drive his own line. Um, he's proven that Florida was perfectly okay getting rid of Vinny Trocek and making this adjustment. And I expect him, I don't know if I expect him to continue the kind of production he had last year, but I do expect him to be a productive second line center. And especially if this team graduates some prospects and upgrades a little bit up front, you, I mean, more weapons for your playmaking centers is always better. Uh, I would estimate uh, with him a 60-point floor, 80-point uh, ceiling. Yeah, that'd be pretty nice, definitely. Um, and we luckily got some news that it sounds like it, it's not 100% confirmed, but we're going to go ahead and go with the fact that the next forward we need to talk about is Sam Reinhardt because it looks like at the time we're recording this, it's going to happen. So uh, let's talk some Sam Reinhardt. We already mentioned Sam Reinhardt in the Buffalo chapter, but uh, we get to revisit it with uh, with with Jack here because it certainly seems like he's going to be uh, the next most fantasy relevant forward on the team. So our, our rating for him was a little bit too pessimistic. Jesse had him at 89th and I had him at 74 and he went all the way up to 65th in Fantrax rankings this season and his 61 point pace was nearly a career high um two seasons ago he had 65 point pace and and really it was kind of an up and down year but he seemed to really come alive when jack eichel was out for the sabers and the and the sabers really had nothing left to prove he went point per game with six power play points and fired over three shots a game when during that spell when jack was out so yeah, pretty interesting season. His PDO was really low at 962, and his IPP and power play points percentage were career high. So it seems like he had a season that is not likely to to replicate in, in many ways, both over and underachieving. Uh, I also doubt he finishes 6% over his career shooting percentage. But now that's Buffalo talk. Now he's a Florida man. So can Reinhardt be a 60-plus point player with the Panthers? What do you kind of see as his... Uh, 
as his point pace uh, there, Jack? I I really think Sam Reinhart is one of the great underrated players in this game because of all the controversy that's constantly surrounding Buffalo, constantly surrounding the Jack Eichel talk. Sam Reinhart has quietly just soldiered on in Buffalo, done his thing, and he's gotten better every year. He's been one of my favorite young players to watch in that Sabres organization. And if, if I'm truly honest, you're going to bring him into Florida and you're going to stick him with Huberdeau or Barkov. He's, he's going to have very, very good quality centers. And he's proven that he's capable of driving play on a line on his own. So I, I think he could be in for a breakout year. I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and say that Sam Reinhart can be that, 30 goal scorer that the Panthers need to get their hands on. And he could even break out even higher, especially if you put him with Barkov, who is so defensively responsible and is so good at working transition. Uh, Reinhardt's going to get his chances. I there's it, it it's going to be fun. It's going to absolutely be fun to see Sam Reinhardt in a Panthers uniform. This team is going to be super fun to watch for sure, and I, I love the fact that they got they got both Sams and with Eklad from from that 2014 draft. So it's going to be really fun to to kind of see those uh, those top three. Uh, they're just missing Drysital to complete the top four, but uh, I don't see that happening <laughs> anytime soon. Um, so the next guy we're going to talk about, we'll get to we'll get to Bennett later, but um, we have to talk about. You mentioned him already, breakout sensation Carter Verhage. One of my MVPs in a league that I was lucky enough to get him in. I think anyone who grabbed him, he was he was a beast for you. And apparently he was a hidden gem on Tampa's fourth line. His ice time nearly doubled from 922 to 1744. But his point pace didn't double. It, it more than tripled. And his shooting percentage stayed about the same. His PDO went from incredibly unlucky in Tampa to incredibly lucky on the Panthers, which just seems wild. And his power play... And uh, and and regular strength uh, points percentage was incredibly high. I think this guy is going to be really hard to project. I think people are going to be all over the map. Um, so, you know, I, I what do you think of him? Is he going to come crashing down to earth, or is he going to kind of you know continue where he laid off? I think he's going to be pretty hard to peg. What do you what do you think about for Hagen moving forward here? I'm going to be a dink about this for a minute. Because I Carter Verhage is one of my favorite NHL talking points. I wrote an article about him last season for the Hockey Writers, highlighting what an anomaly he is shooting the puck. Because so there's a stat that I don't know if anybody tracks this, but this is a stat that I track on my own. And what it basically does is it basically takes a player's shooting percentage and factors it through their through percentage. I don't just look at a player's shooting percentage because in order for a shot to be determined as a shot on goal it has to either hit the goalie or go in the net so those shots that miss the net are shot attempts so i don't understand when we're looking at players and looking at whether they're a good shooter or not i don't understand why we don't take their goals scored and divide it by their overall shot attempts as opposed to their overall shots on net when you do that you come up with what i call either an absolute value shooting percentage or a true shooting percentage um when you start to factor that in, you look at like Hall of Fame caliber players like Alexander Ovechkin, about the average for a really, really good shooter is in the 7.5 to 8% range, uh, 7.5 to 8% of shot attempts 
become goals. Carter Verhage has outperformed that in both seasons. Carter Verhage puts the puck on net at a Hall of Fame caliber rate. It's insane. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Carter Verhage, one of my favorite breakouts this year. Absolutely. I agree with you guys. But let's move on to the man who's got a new contract and uh, seems a new lease on life down in this team, and that's Anthony Duclair. The three-year, $3 million contract he just signed this offseason seems to be fairly universally praised by watchers. He took Barkov's other flank other than Verhage all year. And among those 437 skaters I mentioned before, the ones playing 500 minutes of ice time or more, Verhage and Duclair were third and fourth in goals for percentage. They simply put pucks in in goal when those guys were on the ice. He went 10 goals, 22 assists, 32 points in 43 games this year. Missed two long stretches of games in March and April, the latter at least due to a shoulder injury. Not quite clear what the first one was in going back and looking at this. He averaged two shots, almost a hit, in a modest 15-41 with minimal power play time on ice. So it seems like there could be upside for more scoring if he were ever to fall into one of those types of roles on this talented roster. Do you see Declare holding a role with Barkov this upcoming year with a shakeup such as the Reinhardt trade? And can he unlock more scoring if he has a healthy 21-22? Duclair is one of those players who it seems kind of funny that like he hasn't been able to stick anywhere. He's been he's played for how many teams now? I think this is his fifth team. And he's been good everywhere he goes. So it, it's really been a weird conundrum to see why he's not able to stick anywhere. And frankly, it was, it was really, it was really a joy last year to see him play with the Panthers, find some traction, find a line, gain a coach's trust and turn it into a multi-year deal. I'm really happy for Anthony Duclair. And do I think, do I think he can play with Barkov? I mean, he showed us he can play with Barkov. Uh, could he still play with Huberdo if they move him around? Yeah, I, I think Duclair. I think Duclair's skill set gives you the flexibility to move him up and down the lineup as you need to. And adding more talent is never a bad thing. Um, I honestly believe that that contract is going to be one of the better value deals in the league over the next couple seasons. Um, I don't know how much his ceiling goes above 50 points, but I think that's a safe place to slot him in at in the 50 point range, maybe 60. If he has a good year, stays healthy, but I think you, he's probably good for about 70 games and 45 to 50 points this year. Patrick Hornquist. We one of my all-time favorite fantasy hockey players, and I include the Pittsburgh years in that. Uh, and you know uh, how that uh, must smart uh, him being a Penguin. But look, the thing with Hornquist, we all know, is it's all about the health. I picked him to be the 91st best forward, Victor the 85th, and he outperformed our expectations at 73rd. He threw nearly two hits a game, tremendous for a man in his position, took more than three shots, had the second most all-strength individual expected goals on the team, only to Barkov. Due to his shot location and volume, no doubt, that's what's going to pump up your individual expected goals. More to the point, he missed not that many games for injury, scored 14 goals, 18 assists, 32 points in 44 games. I know that's seemingly a lot of games, but for for Hornquist, maybe not the worst. He missed the last seven games for an upper body injury in five games in a couple of stretches earlier. 
Even missing those, he was fourth in power play time on ice on the Panthers, just showing you what that net front role will do for the man. Turns 35 on New Year's Day, and this seems to be just sort of a the regular routine that he falls into. If his game were any greasier, he'd be John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Is Hornquist going to hold his role again next year and the same level of performance? I think you might see him push down the lineup a little bit and his minutes managed a little more. Uh, I think you're I think, you know, that that's just the natural progression of acquiring talent and having prospects move up, but you still can't argue with how good of a weapon he is on the power play for you. Uh minute reduction, I would I would expect to see some point reduction. I would expect I don't know if he's going to cap 40 points this year. I would I would say 60-ish games, 40 points is about the cap that I would expect for him with a lot of those points coming, playing the net front presence on the power play. He's still so good at that, and it seems like such a simple thing. You you say, okay, you go, you stand in front of the net and you tip pucks in, but there are so few guys in the league who truly, truly specialize in it the way that he does and the way that he gets in, oppose, you know, gets under the skin of opposing teams, but we've seen guys like him find a successful role even in their later years i mean i don't think anybody with how Corey perry's time in anaheim ended i don't think anybody expected him to have not one but two successful playoff runs after his time in anaheim so i mean Corey perry is still out there kicking i don't see a reason why patrick hornquist can't continue to be a productive contributing member to the hockey team but as far as having him on my fantasy team i i don't know I don't know if that's where I'd want him going uh, going forward from here. I think his I think he, we're going to start to see some deterioration. I think we're going to start to see his uh, his ability to play games reduce to maybe three quarters of a season. And I mean that's just what happens with age. But still, I mean, heck of a career. And you know he's he's one of the lucky ones where he's getting to finish off his time with a team that's on the upswing. He might get another shot at a cup here. According to one analyst I know, they uh, they should have beat Tampa last year. So I guess they have a pretty good chance. <laughs> um, no, I actually thought they had a really good chance too. Uh, you, you were not alone in that in that prediction. Um, stupid Tampa. Uh, anyways, let's move on to the next guy, Owen Tippett. And last offseason, we lauded his AHL production and thought he could step into an NHL role. And, and well, he did. You know, 33-point pace for a rookie is is something to celebrate. I mean, not everybody steps in and is Kirill Kaprizov in their first year. So, you know, that's uh, that's really good value. Uh, he didn't get a whole lot of great ice. 11.29 was not a, a lot. 45 seconds of power play time on ice. It was kind of hit and miss. There were some games he had more, some games he had almost none when I was keeping score. Um, but he did get some run with Barkov Huberdeau, but mainly he was he was out there with Vetrano, Lusterainen, and, and Wenberg, who uh, you know are okay players, but certainly no no Barkov and Huberdeau. His time on ice increased as the season went on, so that was positive. And, and his PDO was really low, so I think there's some more points there to be garnered. He wasn't really a liability defensively, as far as I can tell. He was kind of in the middle of that XG and, and Corsi percent. Um, and I did witness some really nice forechecking from him. So I know that, uh, you know, that he has that in him. So uh, what do we expect from Tippett this coming season? And specifically, would you take the over on a 45-point pace season? 
you know what? I, I am a firm believer and always bet the over. So I'm going to take the over on that one. He, it, it's a, it's kind of a deployment thing and it's kind of a accepting your responsibility. That line with Frank Vetrano. I mean, if Frank Vetrano is a, is a four checking masterpiece, I love watching him play hockey. He's one of, he's one of my favorites, but uh, I feel like I've said that a lot in this one, but basically Florida is a fun team to watch. I mean, if you're not watching the Florida Panthers and you're missing out, they, they're just, they're just one of those teams that like, they have so many aspects. If, if you like four checkers, if you like goal scorers, it's all there. As far as Tippett goes, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think the Florida has created a situation where on their wing, the cream rises to the top. And if, Tippett wants to get those top six minutes. He's got to earn them. They're not going to be given to him. There are players. There are players in those roles who seize to those roles. It, it was basically open season last year. Um, you know, Verhage and Duclair seize top six roles. Did anybody think they were going to be top six forwards to start the season? I don't know if anybody thought that. I, I thought Verhage would. I wasn't sure about Duclair, but he found a fit and it works. So. If Tippett wants to get that over, if he wants to get that 45-point season, he's going to have to come into training camp and he's going to have to show that he's put the work in and that he's ready to start ripping shots the way he did in Mississauga. He was one of the most gifted goal scorers in his draft class. He's one of one of the better junior hockey players from a goal-scoring perspective that I've watched in the last five to ten years. It's It's going to come. It's going to get there. But he's got to do it. And until he does it, it's really, really difficult to to be all in on him. I still am because I like my Mississauga Steelheads players, but I it's it's just it's one of those things where it's like this is his put up or shut up year. This is his year where okay, you got your rookie season out the way. Okay, it was a COVID season. You know, we get it. Things have been weird. Now you have to come in and demonstrate that, hey, yes, I am a first round pick. I was picked because I score goals. I go out there, I score goals. And I'm going to put my money on him. I'm going to say he does it. I'm going to say Owen Tippett shows this year that the Panthers were right to draft him and that the goal scoring pedigree is there and this kid can light him up. With you, man. I, I love I love me some Owen Tippett. And uh, I th- he showed some really nice signs uh, that – throughout the season. And I think, I think he can put it all together. It just needs that opportunity. So we'll see. And the, the next guy we need to talk about is, is Mr. Sam Bennett, who, uh, as I mentioned before, Florida is collecting all the top five picks from 2014 they can collect. And so he was fourth from way back then. And it seems like Florida got playoff Sam Bennett from his Calgary games day, days, but it never really slowed down. He was uh, he was playoff Bennett the, the entire time he was in Florida. He had a 46 point, pace overall for the season but he had 15 points in 10 games with florida he he was just absolutely insane and anyone who picked him up for their playoff run um yeah might have might have won you the championship because he he was amazing he was throwing hits he had huge hit and shot numbers there were like eight and six shot games it was it was wild um and so jack i'm sure everyone would love if you told them that this pace was going to continue um, but I kind of doubt he can do that for a full season. So what do we expect from from Bennett this this uh, this season in Florida? I am I am the consummate optimist. I have been screaming that Sam Bennett needed a change of scenery for at least the last three seasons. 
it it never looked like it was going to work out for him in Calgary. Uh, it it's just he looked like a player who was fighting it the entire time. Uh, sometimes his play was as ugly as his facial hair. It um it it was just one of those things that that I was just I was screaming just some team get this kid get him out of there give him a chance and he came to Florida he looked like an absolutely rejuvenated player. He looked like a guy who would deserve to be picked fourth overall and. I think that's going to continue. Uh, the system that Florida plays is is so much more tailored to his game and the way that he plays the game. And it, look, we could have witnessed the birth of a star in Sam Bennett. I'm I'm dead serious. It it was it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. It was one of those things where I felt so vindicated because it's like this this is what I saw. This is what I saw before he was drafted. This is what I saw lurking beneath the surface in Calgary, just screaming to get out. And he came to Florida and it, it's like, it's, it's like he got this whole new lease on his career and I don't think he's going to stop. I think he's going to take it. I think he's going to run with it. I think he's going to show everybody that yes, I deserved to be a top five draft pick and I'm going to prove it to you. Um, that, that's a guy with a chip on his shoulder. That's a guy who has, and he's, he's an easy player to get behind because he plays the whole game. He He's physical, he's nasty, he's, uh, and at the same time, he's got real stick skills and real talent. And it's, and seeing it all come together and saying to yourself, yes, that is the player that I remember watching. And I, I, I get I get really rambly about it because Sam Bennett is one of those players that I've had my eye on just saying, just please, somebody, please, please get him out of there in Calgary. And it happened. So to answer your question, let, I think we've just scratched the surface on Sam Bennett. I think uh, I, I think we could really, really see something special out of him this coming season. Well, let's move on to the blue line, Jack. And I want to start just with a general observation on the D of this team. We've talked about the dominant statistical performance as a team. In Fenwick 4 percentage, all among defensemen, 500-plus minutes of ice time. That's the the kind of the arbitrary line I've been drawing here before. Would you believe that Florida had five of the top 24 defensemen out of 168 in total? Just insane. Uh, the, I mean, the whole team drove it. So at some point you just say, well, <laughs> it's not the contribution necessarily of one guy. It was everybody pulling together. But let's start with the guy. We're, we're not going to talk about Keith Yandel today because Keith Yandel is not a Florida guy anymore. And we're looking forward to next year. And instead, let's talk about the other defenseman who we knew was going to be most relevant coming into the season. And then uh, Victor is going to talk about the one who really turned out to be relevant. Aaron Ekblad. Coming into the season, we both were pretty high on him. I had him 38th. Victor had him 30th. He ended up as 83rd, but with an asterisk. He was 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points, but that was in only 35 games. That's an, a ridiculous point pace, really, for a D-man, or let's just say well above average. But he broke his leg in late March, and that also, you know, people can look back. You can everybody could make excuses, but when you talk about their early elimination in the playoffs, you wonder what an Aaron, a healthy Aaron Ekblad would have done in there. His point pace, actually, I just said twenty-two points in thirty-five games. That was a career rate for Ekblad. Shots were up from two to almost three per game. Minutes were up 
to 2505, more than two minutes up from the prior year, almost 11% shooting. Now that probably can't last, but the former first overall pick seems to be at a career peak, suffice it to say. What are your expectations for Ekblad coming back from the surgery next year? Oh, man. I'm hopeful that they'll be able to fix it because he's so young and because it's kind of it's kind of one of those injuries where it's like, you know, a broken leg, you you fix it, you fix the bone. It's not a tendon injury. So it I'm less worried about it. But we for the early part of the season last season, we really got to see first overall pick Aaron Ekblad. We got to see the guy who when we look at him, we're like, yeah, yeah, I probably would have taken him first overall too. And he's, you know, he's that, that defender that teams covet. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're too far from dropping him into the Norris conversation. I don't think we're too far off. He's going to be 25 this season. He's right at that point where you really get to see who defenders are and what they, and what they're going to be for their career. 25, 26 years old. Uh, next few seasons for him are going to be exciting. Uh, point pace with the with the the guns that they're loading up up front. There's no reason his point pace can't continue along the pace that we saw. Uh, he's going to get a lot of assists. He's going to get a lot of secondary assists, and he's unlocked his shot a little bit. And the the coaching the system that they've implemented down there allows him to play to his strengths. Uh, he was he also averaged like 25 minutes a night. So he gets the minutes, he plays with the top players, and he's, he's going to get his chances. I expect him to, I really expect him to be somebody who we talk about in the Norris conversation in the next few seasons. Another guy we might have to talk about in that vein at some point had just an amazing season, and that's Mackenzie Weger. And I think it might surprise many that Uyghur finished 16th in Fantrax standard categories. 16th, the 16th best defenseman. Neither Jesse or I ranked him, uh, which is a bit embarrassing, but he did kind of come out of nowhere. His 55-point pace is surely a surprise to anyone who wasn't paying attention. A lot of that had to do with Ekblad being out for part of the season. Last offseason, I did pump him up a bit, citing a lot of his rate stats and play driving. I thought he could be a pretty good value, but I did definitely did not think he could be 16th, um, which is why I didn't rank him. I was gunning for him in a couple of cap leagues, but then I wasn't sure he'd be worth his new deal at $3.25 million, uh, and he certainly was. Uh, he's not the biggest shooter. He almost got to two shots a game. That's the biggest drawback for him. But 2.2 hits a game, 1.5 blocks a game. That's fantasy gold. I'm not sure he can get much more than 22.07 time on ice with Ekblad getting back, but uh, maybe. And uh, that certainly helps him accumulate all those counting stats. So, Jack, is this the pinnacle for Uyghur or does he have more to give? Will, will he kind of regress or are we going to see another step forward from him this season? What do you think? Oh man, when I was, I was, uh, so I, I work with a couple of, a couple of podcasts, uh, where I'm not a guest, but I talk to the hosts and we talk hockey stuff. And I was talking with a guy who does a New Jersey Devils podcast, uh, before we signed his deal and we were combing through stats, looking for defensemen that the New Jersey Devils should trade for to upgrade their defense. And we kept coming across Mackenzie Wegar 
as a zone exit monster. Mackenzie Wegar is one of the best defensemen in the NHL in transition and in getting the puck out of his own zone and in moving it through neutral ice. He's absolutely spectacular at it. And that's going to lead to offensive numbers because if you're the guy who gets the puck out of the zone and finds the breakout pass, you're almost certainly going to collect secondary assists. Um, and he did that. And then, as you said, with Ekblad out, he got some chance to really be the feature guy. And, it, I mean, he lit it up. Can he do it again? I don't know. Uh, because of Ekblad. You're, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, I think Ekblad being healthy is going to limit the minutes that Wegar gets to see the ice. And that's going to limit his point production. Uh, I think this is about the ceiling. As far as point production goes, his other his other aspects, though, those are going to remain constant. Those those fantasy gold aspects that you talked about, those are going to be a constant. He's going to do those things. Um, One of the more underrated, under talked about defenders in the game right now. Uh, You really have to dig into the analytics to find out his value. But the value is there. Just a phenomenal hockey player. And it was it's really nice to see him get some recognition for what he does. Because a lot of what he does is in the underlying numbers. You have to scratch the surface and dig down to find the value in this hockey player. But the value is 100% there. Moving on, there's a man we need to give it up for. Give him his due, and that's Rodko Gudas. Because we play fantasy hockey. And Jack, uh, I have the statistic called Bash. That's blocks plus shots plus hits. Radko Gudas was second in the National Hockey League in that category last year based on leading the NHL in hits at 250. That's right. Somebody had more than Brady Kachuk. We need to give him some respect. Victor and I did not rank him, but he finished 19th if you look at a peripherals-type league that counts such things. If you go over the last five years, Gudas is third in hits over that five-year stretch, 48 in blocks among 1,287 players who've played in that span. In a peripherals category league, he's not a streamer. He's an asset. You keep him. You keep him on your roster. You keep him active. He's got two more years of a $2.5 million contract. And of course, the, the constant problem for these guys who put up a lot of blocks and a lot of hits and maybe a lot of PIMs, and uh, Gouda certainly does that, is that sometimes they they are not exactly the best players on their real team and they end up in marginal roles because of that. But I can tell you as a Washington fan, I kind of enjoyed him the year before. Uh, just kind of a pleasant goon to have on your team. Maybe a little bit more than that, we got to recognize. His most common line mate from this past year was Keith Yandel. Of course, he's out to pasture now. Advanced stats, eh, intermediate. And of course, intermediate on this Florida Panthers team means not necessarily good because everybody's advanced stats were so good. Although I would note his 14 penalty kill zone entry uh, uh, was one of the highest in the NHL looking at some of Corey Schneider's advanced stuff. Do you think this 31-year-old Czech has earned a long-term role with the Panthers? And uh, who do you think he'll be paired with next year? Man, who's he going to be paired with? That's an excellent question. I honestly have no idea. Really depend. They've got a couple of prospects who could, uh, and we'll get to the prospect talk, I'm sure. They've got a couple of prospects who could scoot their way up into a third pairing role. And Radko Gudis is your ideal prospect babysitter. He's he's a guy who, if you're bringing a prospect in, a prospect defender in the league, and you want to shelter them a little bit, who else do you want to put them with but Radko Gudis? I and the, like you said with the Capitals, I was 
I have been pleasantly surprised because every time I think I've seen Gudis's ceiling as a player, he finds another level to get to. And it it's really kind of impressive. Like I wrote him off when he was with the Flyers. I just wrote him off as a useless goon. And he has proven me wrong time and time again. Uh just a, a great guy to have on your team because of the role that he plays. And like you said, in a peripherals league, he gets the job done. Uh, but like you said, he leads in hits and blocks. That's going to catch up to him at some point. It's, it's only a matter of time before that body starts breaking down. I think he can finish out this contract with Florida, but I don't know how productive of a player he's going to be once this contract is up. I think he'll earn his money. I think Florida will get the value for what they pay him. And if anything, I think he might be a little underpaid for the value that they get. But um, I expect him to be babysitting a young defender this year. And I expect his minute load to stay sub 20 minutes per game, unless there's some catastrophic injury to Wegar or Ekblad. And that's okay. That's an okay place for him. You're, you're not unhappy with it. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that we're mentioning him to be honest. I didn't think we'd get to him, but yeah, no, it's, uh, he's been surprisingly pleasant to watch. And I think he's found himself a nice home in Florida. I think he's found himself a nice role. Uh, his teammates clearly respect him and he hasn't, he's kind of stepped back from the edge. And I mentioned it in and when he was with the flyers, he was constantly on the edge. He was getting suspended. He was, you know, he was talked about in the same conversation with Tom Wilson and he's kind of toned it down and he's found himself a nice, a nice niche. And it's, it's just nice to see. Tremendous. All right. Now, uh, Jack, we're going to do something unprecedented. I'm going to give you a Jeopardy clue and see if you can come up with the answer for me. And the clue is this. This three-time national champion and 11-time conference champion, Indiana college basketball coach, was as well-known for his fiery temper as his 899 career wins. Do you know the question that goes with this answer? Who's Bobby Knight? That's right. So let's talk about Bob and let's talk about Knight. Those are the next two guys we need to talk about in the goalies. Great, great job. That was for the Daily Double. First, let's start with Bob. The bad news with Bob is he was bad again. <laughs> but the good news is the team is at least down to 50 million and five years left on his contract. Is that good news? I don't know. Uh, the problem is when you rank goalies in the preseason, you kind of have to go with the guys who you think are going to play in our top 25. So I ranked him 19th. Victor ranked him 25th. And actually, because of a lot of his discounting stats from being in there a lot, he turned out to be 33rd. Lest we forget, this guy, Sergei Bobrovsky, was a two-time Vezina winner. It's real easy to forget that with as stinky as he has been in Florida but a five-time Vezina vote-getter as well in seven years in Columbus. In Florida, he has been the undoubted worst-value goalie in the National Hockey League. By goals saved above expected, he was bottom five in the league. He has the sixth-largest salary in the National Hockey League. In the playoffs, he was shelled twice by the Lightning, and they just couldn't take it anymore. By the end of the year, he was clearly the third best goalie on the team. The best goalie we, we can't even talk about today because Chris Dreger is a Kraken. He's gone. He was great, but he's not going to be a Panther. So we'll get to him in the Seattle episode upcoming. What do you do 
Jack Dawkins with Sergei Bobrovsky. What happened to him and will he ever return to form? So Bob's hilarious because I've made this mistake with him before. I've written the man off twice. I wrote him off when he was young after that. Uh, you remember the lockout season? He was in Philly and he had like an 899 save percentage, 302 goals against average. I'm like, ah, he's done. And the Flyers thought he was done because he ended up in Columbus and then he won the Vezina. <laughs> and then... And then he had a down year in Columbus with a 908 save percentage and 275 goals against average in uh, 15, 16. And I'm like, ah, Bob's done. And then the next year he won the Vezina. So I've screwed this up twice. <laughs> so I, I'm never willing to write Bobrovsky off because just in his career, he's bounced back and you're locked into him for the 10 million. So all you can do is hope is hope that he does what he's done before and lightning strikes a third time and he bounces back from a down season with a Vezina performance. The good news is if he doesn't, you have Spencer Knight, who's phenomenal. That's right. We need to talk about him. Lightning certainly could strike twice in, uh, on Bobrovsky. Lightning struck twice on him in the playoffs, so it's uh, it's certainly not unprecedented. But when we talk about Spencer Knight, the 2019 13th overall pick who made picking highs uh, goalies high in the draft cool again, got in at the end of the season for three starts and put up a 4-0 record. That's not a typo. He actually came in relief as well. In the playoffs, after Dreger and Bobrovsky got shelled in games one through four, Knight allowed only four goals between games five and six and really gave Florida its best chance of the playoffs with that 933 save percentage. And so, uh, you know, we kept talking about how this guy was blocked, but now, uh, you know, I don't know. It's Maybe it's getting closer and closer to him pushing into a prominent role with or even over Bobrovsky? Is he going to step in and be an above-average goalie when he comes in? Uh, when does he take over the majority of the starts? Is there Carter Hart potential of he looks so hot and sexy for a while and then ooh, people start to figure him out and he has a dip for a young goalie? What do you think of uh, Spencer Knight? I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there, There's definitely Carter Hart potential there for – you know, if if they go out of the gate, you know, Bobrovsky makes the money, so there's a certain amount of propriety. Uh, you have to see if Bob can play. They're they're kind of in a they're kind of in a similar catch twenty two to what the Devils were with Corey Schneider, where you Corey Schneider made the big money, so you had to give him every opportunity to earn it and be worth it. And that saga dragged on in New Jersey for like three or four years. So. Um, I think out of the gate, Bobrovsky's got to be your starter. Um, but if Bob struggles and Knight plays well, I, I don't think they'll hesitate. And that's, that's both good and bad for the team. But having that young goaltender who, who makes an entry-level contract for the next couple of years makes it not that big of a problem. Where this becomes a problem is when you have to give Knight his his next contract. That's when this starts to really be a problem, and possibly at the end of the year when you've got to pay when you've got to pay Barkov. Um, once you start having to pay some of these younger players bigger contracts in a flat cap situation, which the the rumors of us being stuck in a flat cap beyond the initial three years are they're out there. 
uh, that's going to be that's going to be where the issue comes in. For right now, it's not that big a deal, uh, but it gets to be one. Uh, they had they sort of solved the problem by you know trading Dreger, and the expansion draft kind of rescued them from that. Because if you were in a situation where you had Bobrovsky, Dreger, and Knight, then you had real problems. But because you've got two guys who can come in and you know if if bob struggles knight can go for a bit and the fact that you know you're not completely reliant on knight like philadelphia is on carter hart so if knight comes in and he's good for a stretch but then he falls back and he struggles you can go back to bob you want to sort this out but it's one of those things that it kind of has to sort itself out you can't force it you can't you can't just make one guy play well. It's got to be, you know, goalies are voodoo. I constantly say that. Uh, and they, there are worse goaltending situations to be in San Jose. Um, so they'll be uh, sick I burn, think- Victor. Sick burn. <laughs> How dare you? I'm so offended. <laughs> Let me put it. There are worse hills to die on. Oh man, Aiden Hill. He followed up with a pun. It's getting worse and worse all the time. All right, uh, I'm calling the mercy rule on Victor, and we're going to take a brief break and come back and talk about some Florida Panthers prospects. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Dig. It's the Dynasty Dig, and we're ready to get into some Florida prospects Day. Victor Nuno loves to talk them prospects. We've actually had an NHL draft. This is the first post-draft dynasty dig. We'll get into some of those guys later. Uh, we need to talk about some of the old heads first. The 18th best season, uh, system in the National Hockey League is the Florida Panthers, according to the Hockey Prospecting website. 1.22 expected stars when you add up all the probabilities. 7.45 expected NHLers worth of prospect uh, they uh, branded Montour cost them the third rounder. So as we go through that second round and the the rest of the NHL draft today, they will be a little less. Uh, they'll be a little less on the clock than a couple of other teams. But let's get into the players actually on this team right now and start out with a man who I know is going to be your no brainer, Victor. Indeed, this is Anton Lundell, Florida's twelfth overall pick from twenty twenty. He slid a little bit. Later than than a lot of people thought in that really stacked 2020 draft, he had just an absolutely monster season. 25 points in 26 games for HIFK, uh, for the HIFK pivot. He, he was phenomenal. 
he captained and starred for Finland as they captured the bronze at the at the U20 World Juniors. A truly dominant performance. Every time he was out there, Finland was just scary. And yeah, they they really almost pulled off a couple of upsets there, including against the Americans. If it weren't for Arthur Kaliev uh, kind of putting in that really nice goal at the end. Uh, and in the Liga season after that, he uh, he joined the Finns uh, for the World Cup after his Liga season and helped them take home the silver medal taking Canada into overtime and then eventually losing. So they, he was great. Seven points in 10 games. Uh, and when you look at Instat, I'm really not shocked to see that Lindell had a 57% Corsi at the world championships or even 69% uh, at U20 world junior championships playing against his peers and 61% in the Liga. So pretty dominant all around. I'm kind of shocked that his net XG, remember that 0.5 is kind of the, the break-even point below 0.5, you're kind of negative. And he was only 0.1 there for HIFK in the Liga. In fact, his net X3 was only slightly better last year, but only 0.21. As a comparable, when he plays against his peers, 1.22 was his net XG. That's that's just absurd. Uh, in the Liga, he was getting three shots a game, a hit every fifth. And I don't, I don't really think there's going to be much in the way of peripherals for Lundell, but he's an excellent uh, two-way play-driving center that, that has some offense that he's shown. So when you look at the hockey prospecting model, he's got some pretty nice comparables. You know, he, had, uh, he increased his star potential from 40 to 49 this season and his NHL probability from 57 to 66. He uh, has comparables, guys like Kovalchuk, Matt Duchesne, Jason Arnott, I'm not sure he looks a ton like those guys, but I do think he looks a fair amount like Nico Heeshear. And Heeshear, obviously, Devils um, top pick, and he's looking pretty good there uh, in New Jersey and and kind of coming into his own. So, Jack, I know you're a Devils fan, and I know you've seen a lot of Nico. Uh, do you think Lindell will have a similar upside to, to Heeshear, or do you think he's more of a middle six or, dare I say, even a bottom six guy? I think I think Nico's probably a decent comparison for Lindell. Uh, Lindell, in for my money, Lindell was the second best center of that draft class, um, and Florida did really well getting him on on the slide to twelfth. Uh, he's got he's got the frame you're looking for in a hockey player. He's got for some reason right around the draft, there's this narrative that picked up steam that he had low offensive upside, but I completely disagree with that. We're talking about uh, an 18, 19 year old kid who's playing in a men's league in Liga. Let's, you know, let's not discount that. Let's not discount the fact that he's not playing junior hockey. He's playing in a men's league in Liga and he's playing for a team in Helsinki. That's not, they're not focused on his development. They're focused on winning hockey games. That, that changes the aspect of how a player's deployed and how a player's used and who his line mates are. He's got, he's got the same kind of competition for line mates in with, you know, Helsinki that, that he would have in the NHL. You know, he's trying to get himself into top six minutes and there have been times where he does. And he's shown very, very well. I, I think he's absolutely a can't miss prospect. And I think he gives he's going to give you flexibility moving forward because I think he's going to be your your second line center. I think if you can hang on to Barkov, you get Barkov a big contract. I think Lindell is eventually going to come in and be your second line center. And then if Huberdeau is still around, you can kick Huberdeau out to wing if you want to. I think he I think he gives you 
situational flexibility that an organization, you can never have too many centers. You can never have too many good centers on a team. And he's going to be, he's going to be the real deal for them. He really is. Uh, I like this player a lot. And from a, from a perspective of, you know, dynasty leagues, it, if I could get my hands on him for the right price, I would definitely consider it. Um, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's playing in the NHL this year. I think he's probably still at least another year away. Very good. Let's move on. Who is your need to know prospect, Victor? Our need to know is Grigory Denisenko. He finally came to North America this past season. He got seven games with the Panthers, contributing four assists. Uh, But most of his season was spent down playing for the Syracuse Crunch, where he had nine points in 15 games. So not too bad And for the AHL there. He had a positive net XG in Corsi for the crunch, 2.1 shots a game, uh, almost a hit a game to go with his uh, over 15 minutes of time on ice. He really does not look good in the hockey prospecting model. He looks um, like uh, not, not, not good at all, like, like less than an average producer. Um, so we're not going to talk about that one. Instead, let's look at Fanalytica. Where if you plug in his uh, his point projections, you know they they predict what he's going to look like in his very first season. He looks amazing. Uh, in fact, if you compare his points upside to players from this past season, the comparables are John Tavares, Tyler Toffoli, and Kirill Kaprizov. That's some pretty uh, lofty praise there for the Russian. So, Jack, what do you think of that outcome? Do you think he can uh, he can come in um, and take the the league by storm, kind of like Kaprizov did? I mean, he 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 didn't do it in the small sample size this season, but that um, he didn't necessarily get the the best opportunity. Uh, what do you think his uh, Denisenko's upside is? I think his upside is sky high, but I also think his floor is very low. I think there's a lot of fluctuation there. He has the potential to be a very, very exciting point producing player, but there's also the potential that he just, he doesn't amount to anything. And it's very much that whole, that Russian thing, but the, so you use the, the hockey prospecting.com model. And I love what uh, Byron Bader has done there with that model. But this season, any I, I have to take anything that comes off of the hockey prospecting model this season for prospects with a grain of salt because COVID just COVID just threw a wrench in all the prospect gears. Guys didn't play anywhere close to the number of games. I mean, you talked about he didn't really get a lot of games in the AHL. I mean, we've seen guys go on 15, 20 game stretches where they don't play well. And we've also seen guys go on absolute heaters in 15, 20 game stretches. So I, I think using NHLE for, which is the, the statistical model that that model is based on. I think anything based on NHLE is going to be jaded. So I think your Fandalitica comparisons are actually more accurate for him in this regard. And yes, there is an exciting skill set and a potentially exciting player here. And but he's boom bust. He's he could reach it or he could not, or he could fall somewhere in between. He's just, it's just too hard to project the the jury's still out on him. Uh, he's worth grabbing because if he, if he does, if he does succeed, he's going to succeed big. Yeah. I actually sold uh, most of my Denisenko shares for that reason, for what you mentioned, the fact that the floor is, 
very low on him, but the the upside is certainly tantalizing. And yeah, I think that I think that he's the kind of player that Florida could really use too. You know, they they got some shooters now. They got an excellent play driving center. They got what looks like their second and third line centers, and he's just a dynamic playmaking, probably winger at the NHL level. And and he can he can really set up a lot uh, with his brain uh, and the fact that he's a uh, you know, a little bit undersized at uh, maybe 5'11 is what he's listed at. Um, probably won't hurt too much if he if he gets that role, you know. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Victor, tell me about the prospect you want to keep your eye on. Yeah, this one's a little bit, uh, you know, controversial maybe. Um, but I have my reasons. Jack and I are going to argue, and it's okay. Everyone just just could be prepared for that. Um, but this is Lucas Carlson, the 24-year-old defenseman. He was a key piece in the in what came back for Henrik Borgstrom. Uh, both kind of disgruntled, uh, high upside prospects in their respective organization. They just uh, they just swapped them, you know. And sometimes that's the best thing for both guys. So, hope it works out for them. Uh, still high on Borgstrom and Carlson. Some people might not know a whole lot about, but uh, he never really seemed to gain a foothold in the Hawks organization. He had just two points in 18 games. But limited ice. He was. Uh, we talked about this with our with Sean uh, Filippelli in our Chicago episode. He was kind of getting getting uh, you know games where he was scratched. He was in. He was limited ice time. He was sitting on the bench. Then he was in and, and out. It was just like really hard to actually get a, a good sense of uh, what you're supposed to be doing when you when you have that kind of um, you know monkeying around with your ice time and playing time. So he never really got the full deployment when he went to Rockford. Uh, of the AHL, he did okay, but then did much better when he went to the Syracuse Crunch. He had nine points in 11 games, so it seems like he kind of took off when he went to the Florida Panthers affiliate there. When you look at the hockey prospecting model, it kind of tapped out a, a couple years ago when his last year in the SHL, 21% chance of being a star. So there's still some star potential there for, for the defenseman, uh, Carlson. And uh, I think one of the biggest things is that he's an RFA and he is not waivers exempt, which means that they need to play him or do something with him because otherwise he's just going to be sitting uh, on their bench and, uh, and and wasting a roster spot. And that doesn't really help anyone. So that's part of the reason why I like him. I think they gave up a decent asset for him and he needs to play and he needs to play now. Uh, so what say you, Jack? Duncan? I think you're banking on his upside and maybe ignoring the fact that he might just be who he is at this point. Um, he's been around long enough that if he was going to reach that upside potential, I think we would have seen it by now. Uh, my viewings of him, I have not come away particularly impressed. And maybe I'm looking at the wrong things. You know, I'm not infallible, but... I find I find this a very interesting pick from you. I think I see what you're looking at. I think I I see flashes of the upside. But at this point in his career, those flashes would have had to have become far more consistent for me to even consider him uh, an NHL a potential NHL regular. Uh I I'd like to see him become a a good AHL regular first. And I don't know I don't know if if he lives that life. It's certainly an interesting guy to talk about, though. It's certainly a, a, because if he reaches the potential that that you're looking at with him, 
it, he's a stud if he if if he reaches that potential. But it's similar to what we talked about with Denisenko, where I just feel like his floor is something that he's closer to, and his floor is a replacement level AHL defender. <laughs> and I feel like that's where he's kind of been. Uh, he reminds me a lot of a couple of these other defensive prospects. Actually, another Carlson, uh, Gabriel Carlson from the Columbus organization, guy who you know had the upside and looked good, but just hasn't been able to crawl his way out of the AHL. So, yeah, you know, I'm not saying that he's like the third best prospect on this team or anything. What I'm saying is you need to keep your eye on this guy because he's probably going to play. And if he takes his 15, 20 games that the Panthers give him and he actually does something with it, he could be really good. But he could also do what he's done for Chicago, which is basically nothing. They play him for however many games and then they waive him. And maybe someone claims him or maybe, you know, he goes back to the AHL. So that's why I'm saying you should keep your eye on him because there is some potential there and he's going to get the opportunity. And as we know, sometimes uh, all you need is the right opportunity and you can put something together that you haven't before. So that's all I'm saying with him. Not not saying that I think he's great. I'm not even saying he's better than the next guy we're going to talk about because I don't really think that's the case either. But I think it's an interesting situation for Carlson. So So keep your eye on him. Okay, you you uh, referenced that you have more. This system's like the Energizer Bunny. It keeps going and going. Who are the rest, Victor? Yeah, we, we have to talk about a few more guys because there, there are just some really interesting ones in this system. And the next is Max Gildan. And we talked about Gildan last season as our as our need to know. And uh, part of the reason he isn't there now was just uh, just so we could get some different flavor in the in the top three there. But uh, he is waivers exempt, so that complicates his role. It makes me think he won't be on the team this season. He was loaned to the Bakersfield Condors of the AHL, uh, which is the top Oilers affiliate. And part of that is because the Syracuse Crunch, who he should have played for, just had way too many top defensemen, and so he needed the opportunity. And uh, so that was good. It was his first pro season after three really strong seasons at the University of New Hampshire, where the defenseman was almost a point per game in the NCAA. And in his first pro season for the Condors, he had 19 points in 32 games. So that's uh, that's pretty decent. He looks pretty average in the hockey prospecting model, but uh, I know he can run a power play. He got over two minutes of ice on the power play in Bakersfield. That really helps his point total. And his net XG was 0.74, really good. 57% Corsi for a rookie in the AHL is just fantastic. So I like Gildan. I think that he probably needs another year to marinate in the AHL. Um, maybe he he earned a spot in camp. That's also possible. But uh, what do you think, Jack? Is he going to be a fantasy asset if and when he makes it? If you look at his play in the NCAA, absolutely. A couple of scouts I've talked to really, really like this player. Uh, Some consider him the steal of the 2017 draft. We're just going to have to wait until he gets there. Uh, It's going to require a little bit more patience, but he's coming. Max Gildan is coming. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about Gildan. I think you got to keep your eye on him, especially with Yandel. Uh, out of the way now, that top power play spot, which is probably going to go to Ekblad, but there's there's definitely some options there. Um, the next guy we got to talk about is Alexei Heponiemi. 
Heponiemi has been a guy that that we've uh, been I've been following and watching and, and excited about his skill for a long time. Uh, he he tore up the WHL uh, initially, then went to the Liga, did great. In 1819, he had 46 points in 50 games. 1920 was a bit rough in the AHL. Um, 14 points in 16 games for uh, for Moto uh, of the Elsvenskan. Um, but uh, you know, in the AHL, he wasn't he wasn't that great. He only had 14 in 49 um, games. So this season, he really kind of split all around between the Panthers, the Crunch. Uh, the Elsvenskan, uh, and he was pretty good in all those leagues except the NHL, uh, where he only had a couple points. But uh, he, he didn't only had his nine game sample, um, so they didn't um, didn't burn another year of his entry level. And this season is his last, uh, and he is waivers exempt. So uh, I guess the question is like, is is Alexei Heponiemi ever gonna kind of hit? Because it seems like he's kind of another one of these undersized. Uh, you know, uh, good, good playmaking, uh, type, type players, but, uh, it seems like he's improved his defensive game a little bit, although that's never been his strength. I just don't know if it's going to be enough to, to make it full time in the NHL. His hockey prospecting model has him looking mainly like an average producer. Uh, he's got some decent comparables like Bobby Ryan. Um, Kakaniemi is a guy. I think he looks a fair amount, not just because his last name also has Niemi in it, but, uh, kind of the way he's progressed through the model, um, looking less and less like a star as time goes on. So uh, what do you think about Heponiemi? You know, I got really down on him after uh, last, after uh, a couple of years ago, his season where he got to the AHL and he just looked completely outclassed. But I think he fixed it. I think he's back on track. I watched his nine-game sample and I was encouraged. Uh, he didn't look out of place in the NHL. He looked like he could keep up with the pace of the game. And he looked like he is adapting to the physicality. Uh, it wouldn't shock me to see him get a longer NHL look in a full season uh, this coming year. And it wouldn't shock me to see him cement himself. His, he's truly gifted in the vision department. He's able to to know somebody's going to be somewhere before they even know they're going to be there. And his passes just have eyes. He's able to put pucks through traffic and they, and in a way that you don't see with a lot of people and that, that playmaking ability is what's carried him as far as he's gotten. He needs to hit the gym a little bit, add a little bit more bulk, but he's got a really light frame. So I don't know if he can, it's just going to be a matter of can he stand up to the physical rigors of the North American pro game. And that's really the only test he's got left to pass. Yeah, he's definitely a, a nice high upside play. I think, I think uh, you know, like similar to Denisenko, but maybe a little bit, uh, you know, a couple pegs down. Um, the next, the last guy we're going to talk about is someone that the Panthers just drafted last season. Uh, last last draft at 87th overall in the third round. That's Justin Sordiff, who I think I'm saying that right. But the reason we're talking about him uh, primarily is for your banger leagues. And if you play in Pims leagues, don't. But if you do, this is a guy to think about. The 19-year-old had uh, just finished his second WHL season, and it was really good. 34 points in 22 games. That was the third best point total in the dub uh, this season. But that's not really the whole story. The, the rest of the story is in 22-49 time on ice, he averaged a minute and a half of PIMS, nearly four shots, 2.1 hits, 
a dominant net XG of 1.42 and 67% Corsi. I mean, these are kind of numbers that you would associate with like a really high pick playing their second or third year in junior. This is that that's absolutely absurd numbers for sort of, um, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be a huge point producer. I, I really doubt that he will be, but he seems pretty likely to make it at this point. And if he does, he could just be that saw paper or sandpaper, um, you know, third line center kind of guy, maybe, maybe flexing up to a second line here and there matchup nightmare hits, uh, you know, physical guy that can contribute some points, you know, maybe like a Cal Clutterbuck type um, his uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm Sezika's type. The three guys on that line, I'll, I'll just kind of blend together for me. You know what I mean? Um, but <laughs> When you're looking at the hockey prospecting model, he looks a lot like um, pretty average producers, uh, but Luke Kunin is a guy who I think kind of looks similar to him and may have a similar mold. So maybe that's the kind of guy you're thinking of. So what do you think of of sort of, is he a future multi-category beast? You know, you missed one of the better aspects of his game, and that's the fact that speed kills and he's got it in spades. That is a fast hockey player. And in that regard, with the speed and the physicality, it actually kind of reminds me more of like a Miles Wood type player. Guy who's got, who mixes it up a bit, gets in the other team's kitchen, but has the speed to threaten you on the forecheck and potentially create breakaways for himself. Uh, I was, sort of was one of those picks that when the Panthers got him as late as they did, I was like, wow, what, what value, what phenomenal value. Um, last, last year's draft was a really good draft for Florida and he was, he was a part of that. Um, I think he makes it, I, I think he certainly makes it. And if you're in a league that has peripherals, he's a guy worth getting your hands on. Uh, he, he's got it. The kid, the kid can game. And, uh, if, if the offensive upside ever clicks in, I mean, you're looking, you're looking at a future, uh, a future power forward in the NHL here, who's got the speed to give teams absolute fits. Yeah, definitely. He's a, he's, he's a very specific guy to, to look for if you're into that, um, but could be really good. Sometimes those are the hardest ones to find. So uh, I know there's some other guys you might want to talk about. This is a deep system. They have some really interesting guys. So uh, who else, Jack, is there you want to highlight here? Well, I'll, I'll pick two. I'll pick a forward and a defender for you. Uh, the forward is Ty Smolanek. I really, really like Ty Smolanek's shot. I like his potential as a sniper and as a shooter. I think if the other aspects of his game come together, I think there's a package here that could become a, a annual 20-30 goal scorer. An absolute laser shot, pinpoint accuracy. He can fire it from anywhere. Um, and he's got good size, too. Uh, he His draft year, he was a little hampered by injury. And, you know, the COVID year for his draft plus one hasn't really helped him. But everything I've seen from this player, I really like. And I think uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to get better and better for him. And we'll see him in a couple of years. The other one who I want to talk about is uh, Ludwig, John Ludwig. Um, He was drafted in the third round. And then he had absolutely blowout year with the Portland Winterhawks in his draft plus one over a point per game uh, pace as a defender. And a lot of people chalked that up to, well, the Winterhawks had Seth Jarvis just going on runs and scoring points. And while that was true, 
a couple of Western Hockey League scouts that I talked to said, no, that was not just the Seth Jarvis effect. Ludwig is the real deal. And the kid is, I mean, if you're looking for highlights of him, most of the highlights of him that you find are actually on uh, hockeyfights.com. The, uh, so you have this guy who was a point per game defender who plays the body, plays hard, is is a nasty, nasty kid. And he's also got some bloodlines. His dad was a part of the uh, New Jersey Devils organization in the early years of the team when they were absolutely terrible. So I, I really, he's a really under the radar kid for me that I don't think a lot of people are looking at. But I I think John Ludwig's got it going on in spades, and I think that kid could really turn some heads if he makes it to the NHL. Yeah, that's <laughs> those are some those are some deep cuts. Uh, that's a uh, that's some really nice uh, extra information there. We knew you we knew you bring it, uh, and we really appreciate that. I guess there's one more thing to talk about, and that is the fact that they did draft. Uh, someone in the first round and the, the we're recording this a day after the initial draft. So as we're recording, the second round is going on. We're not going to talk about those guys, but what do you think of Mackie Samoskevich, their first round pick 20 um, is it fourth overall? I believe that they went this year. What do you, what do you think about him? I think that's good value. Um, he that's around the area where he was expected to go. And you know, it's when you, when you're in the first round of the draft, especially this draft, because everybody's seasons were so wonky this draft. And there were a couple of reaches in the first round. There were a couple of places where teams said, no, we really like this guy. We're going to take him. And I don't want to give the wrong impression by calling him a safe pick, but I feel like he was kind of a safe pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I like him. I think that uh, there were some at the at the tail end of the first there. There were some really interesting options still available, um, and we won't get into what Montreal did. Um, but uh, I think that there was some D that went right after him. Larue, um, Zach Dean were were kind of interesting choices as well after him that I think are in that conversation. But I don't really dislike the pick at all. I think Samuskevich is great value. He's a he's a tremendous player. You know, part of that part of the difficulty evaluating guys on the Chicago steel is that it's like an all-star team playing against, uh, it's like the globe trotters playing against, you know, any other team. And it's like who here really is driving the bus, but he certainly seemed like he was, uh, you know, one of their, one of their better players and really um, taking advantage of a lot of offensive situations. I think he's a, he, he's kind of a guy that can do everything. Um, you know, he's a good skater. He's a good shot. He's a good playmaker. He's got good hands and, and brain for the game. So, I really like him. I'm I kind of surprised he went at 24. I think he might have I thought he might have fallen into the second round. So I think that that was actually kind of smart for Florida to take him there. So another one to add to a pretty deep prospect pool. Yeah, I think what you're saying about the Chicago Steel is kind of a double-edged sword because like you said they are so dominant in the USHL, but I think that's also a testament to the work that their scouting department does because you don't you don't have these kids particularly long. Like you're not you're not hanging on to kids for 5-6 years. So every year the Chicago Steel scouting department scours the United States and finds kids to build a dominant franchise year after year. They're like the freaking Alabama Crimson Tide of the USHL. Uh, so it, I, I think you get a lot of confidence 
drafting a kid from the Chicago Steel. You look at that franchise and how successful they are, and you say, okay, well, if their scouts thought this kid was good, then they might be on to something. Very good. That's right, folks. When you come on this show, we reference college basketball. We reference college football. Canadians, Norwegians, good friggin' luck uh, following our talk. But uh, yeah, Jack wounds me with the Alabama Crimson Tide talk. Uh, <laughs> living out here in Big Ten country. It's all good, man. It's all fun. We love having you on. We love talking Florida Panthers. You can go deep on these systems like no other. Uh, Jack, you have the hot takes coming out. I've been enjoying your takes during this draft and trade season as much as anybody on the Twitters. How should people keep up with your work? Well, for right now, Twitter's primarily it. I've got some work coming down the pike with uh, a couple of other outfits. I'll be going more public with that uh, after the draft. It's mostly, it's going to be prospect work. I'm going back to my bread and butter, which is where I got my start in uh, prospects and scouting. And it's one of those things where, you know, it was, it was really difficult to pick up writing about prospects about a month before the draft. So going to be starting with a clean slate, looking at the 2022 draft uh, then, and that's going to be an exciting one. The, the big one of uh, one of the countries I'm going to be covering is uh, Slovakia. And I'm going to be covering the Slovak League. And there are three prospects coming out of Slovakia in the draft this year. There's two of them that are playing in the Slovak League. And they're going to be exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to World Juniors this year. And it's going to be a fun year. Well, very good. Uh, We thank you, Jack. Always a good time. Love talking Florida Panthers. Until next time, I hope we have you again on here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. talk about the Florida Panthers. More prospects than some of you may have suspected. A lot of intrigue with this franchise. Victor, we are ready to just let people know that Fantrax is a great place to play your fantasy sports. You can customize everything. It's better than those big box things who probably don't even have hockey out there for you to set up leagues on. You can do anything. You want to trade draft picks? You want to do three-way trades? You want salaries in there? You want Pretty much every miners guy you could ever dream of to be in your player pool. And if they're not, you could ask them and they, they'll put them in for you. Uh, conditional like sets of waiver bids, uh, literally hundreds of scoring settings that you can use. You should try Fantrax.com. It's a fantasy playing site and they sponsor this podcast. They also have lots of fantasy content like Fantrax HQ, where there are articles is a little bit up about the crack. And I think there's going to be some draft articles coming up here. That is fantasy hockey-related stuff, and it's all the sports. We don't just do hockey. We do nine different sports over at Fantrax. And there are podcasts, including uh, several baseball podcasts, SP Streamer, Five Tool Podcast, and the Prospect Tool Shed are three of those that you should be keeping up with. Victor, the other people who bring us this content are the Hockey Writers. That is a place where you can read anything you want about any NHL franchise. Tons of stuff about the draft. It's not really necessarily the fantasy angle, but they do uh, partner with us, uh, put this out on the Spotify platform as uh, as a podcast that you can listen to if you're interested in fantasy. But more to the point, you write for them. What you got going on that Hockey Writers right now? 
Yeah, I wrote a couple things recently, actually. Uh, right after, as we were en- ending last week's episode, the trade for Aiden Hill was finalized that the Sharks acquired for for Kojanash and a, and a second. Um, really wish uh, we hadn't given that second round pick, but there's a whole breakdown of, of what to expect from Hill, how, how good he has been, how good he will be. Um, and and why I think the Sharks are still going to get another goalie in there. Um, so for all you Melnichuk owners, uh, that's not great. And then I also wrote a piece about uh, the right wing options for the Sharks. They're very thin on right wing. In fact, they only have like one right-handed forward, um, basically, which is LeBanc, and they're trying to trade him. So there's some interesting things that are happening. So kind of look at some options of who they might acquire. And uh, there's some there's some interesting uh, choices there. Um, so yeah. And then of course, we're going to be looking at, uh, some reviews of, of who the sharks picked. Um, we just found out they picked, uh, Eklund, uh, who slid to seven, which was a pretty nice pick. So there'll be some, uh, write-ups on that as well, including all your favorite teams. So definitely check it out for what it means for your team and who you acquired a lot of content flying around from the trades acquisitions and the, and the draft over at the hockey writers. True. Tremendous. Well, one more reminder for you guys. Follow us on Twitter, Fan Hockey Life and Victor Nuno 12. Those are our two respective trade accounts or uh, Twitter accounts. Uh, Yeah, we might be talking about trades. Who knows? And follow us. Subscribe to us on all the podcast providers. Well, maybe not all. Pick one. And on that one, which you pick. Uh, rate and review us if it is a platform that allows you to do such a wonderful, generous, kind thing and give us all the stars, please. And uh, some nice words. Keep us going out there. Uh, we are here to help you get through all 32 teams. We're kind of on the home stretch. We got one more episode coming this week about Pittsburgh, and then we're going to stop and talk with some great, great guests about the the NHL draft. And that is going to help you as you keep living this fantasy hockey life. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.